You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. We are going to be in Job chapter 1 this morning. Job chapter 1, or if you're new to the church, Job chapter 1. Um, for those of you that's been with us this year, you know we've been spending a lot of time talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we've discovered is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to reorient your life around three goals. Goal number one is to be with Jesus. Goal number two is to become like Jesus. And goal number three is to do what Jesus did. This is the goal of every single person who calls himself a disciple of Christ. And um, what we have said is in order to do this, we need to be intentional about our own spiritual formation. And so, Ryan, do you have the intentional spiritual formation graphic that you can put on the screen? What we have said is that in order for us to be healthy disciples of Jesus, we need to be committed to teaching, to sit under gospel-centered teaching, to immerse in ourselves into the story of God that tells us about who God is, what he's done for us in Christ, and how that changes who we are and how we live. And because information alone does not equal transformation, but the application of information equals transformation, we also need to be a people who are practicing the ways of Jesus. Uh, we need to spend time in silence and solitude, reading scripture, fasting, praying, all the things that we see Jesus doing, we need to be put into practice into our own lives. And one of the things that we've said over and over is that to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And then because we were created for relationships, we cannot grow in isolation, separated from one another. And that's why we need the local church. That's why we need community. That's why we encourage you every single week to get plugged into an MC or a fight club where you can work through the gospel together. And obviously, because we cannot possibly pull off the life that God wants to pull off apart from his power, we do all of this as we live connected to and aware of his empowering presence, his Holy Spirit. So we've talked a lot about that. This year, but what we have not talked a lot about is what you see below the line where it says low control. And what we have said is that in order to truly be a healthy disciple of Jesus, we are to engage in all of these things and realize though that change takes time, that it doesn't happen overnight. And so change happens over time, but then through, as the great theologian Jay Z says, the hard knocks of life. And so what I want to do in the next four weeks is we're going to talk about the hard knocks of life. We're going to talk about pain and suffering. Anybody in here ever experienced pain and suffering in any way? Okay, this should be a relevant topic for all of us. And what I want you to see in the next four weeks is how we cannot live well if we do not learn how to suffer well. And a lot of us, I think, just have no idea how to suffer well. So we're going to look at the scriptures and see what God says about it. So if you will, again, grab a Bible, Job chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll throw it on the screen for you. I'm going to try to read verse 6 through verse 22. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job really fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down, struck down your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down and the servants at the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. We've all had bad days in our lives. I think you can, we can all agree this is a bad day, right? And then Job arose, and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let's pray together. Father, this world is, um, can be chaotic and hard and dark. Um, sometimes uh, we can suffer in, in, in such ways that it feels like you are absent, that you do not care that you're sleeping on the job, um, that you've given up on us. I pray for each person who is here today. Um, I know that everyone is either suffering or will go through suffering. I know someone that is. Would you shatter the seeds of doubt and lies that have been planted by the great deceiver and today reveal to us the truth from your word that will set us free to experience the life we are longing for. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here have ever been bitten by a tick? So show of hands. Oh, wow. All right, everybody, right? If you've lived in Arkansas for more than like a summer, you've probably been bitten by a tick, right? Uh, two weeks ago, I found a tick on my kind of the back part of my thigh and could not reach it. So I called for my wife to come and remove it for me. And so she grabbed her, you know, surgery utensils or whatever it was that she had. And she began to dig in there. And of course, me being the brave man that I am, I took it like a champ. And she, you know, took it off. I was like, did you get it all? She's like, yeah, I got it all. No problem. So I was like, okay, cool. So I just went about my day thinking, you know, nothing's going to come of this. And so it's happened before. And, uh, you know, went, went about my business. But within two days... Um, the spot where the, the tick was, it became infected. Um, it became red. It began to have like, these red lines coming from where the tick had bitten me. So I was like, I better go to the doctor and see what's going on. So I went to urgent care at St. Bernard's and uh, went to see a doctor. And he came in. And by the way, he was like, hey, you look really familiar to me. And he's like, are you a preacher? And I was like, I am. And he's like, hey, I came to your Easter service. And so I was like, awesome. And so um, he said he was going to be here today. I don't know if he's in here or not. But anyways, um, if you are, welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for all your help. And so um, he... Uh, he said, hey, man, uh, let me see the spot. So he saw it, and he said, yeah, that don't look too great. I'm going to put you on a round of antibiotics, and then I want to get about seven tubes of blood, and I want to check and make sure there's not an infection or something going on there in your body. So he draws the blood, sends me on my way, and I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. No big deal. Everything's going to go great. Well, on Tuesday, I had to go back to get the test results read to me, and he walks in. And he says, hey, man, um, I have to tell you this, but you've attracted the bacteria for Lyme's disease. 
And so um, you were actually at risk. And I was like, okay, well, tell me about Lyme's disease. Like, what is it? What does it do to your body? And he said, well, I think we've caught it early enough where for you, at the most, you'll probably experience some flu-like symptoms, fatigue, chills, headache, maybe some swollen lymph nodes, things like that. But he said, if we don't get ahead of this thing, um, it can lead to a lot more damage to your body. He said, you can get meningitis, which is the swelling of the brain. Sounds like a good time, right? And so it's like you can have heart palpitations, like things can go uh, haywire with your heart. Your liver can actually experience a lot of damage. It's like, we need to do more liver tests on you actually right now to get a baseline for what's going on. And then I need to put you on 14 more days of antibiotics and then we'll check back in, do some more tests, see what's going on. So he sends me out, uh, this is on Tuesday, and I leave from there to go work on my sermon for Sunday, for today, on suffering. And as I was driving there, this was the question that was running through my mind. Why? Right? Why me? Why now? Why this? Have you ever been there? I think this is normal for all of us. When, not if, when suffering hits, we want answers. We have questions for why am I suffering like this? And depending on who you are, where you come from, we all tend to run to one or two places to try to find answers. If you're a religious person in here, you tend to maybe do something like this. Okay, wait a minute, God. I thought if I lived for you and I did good stuff for you, you would do good stuff for me. So, you know, okay, God, I get it. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I know I'm not perfect yet, so just tell me what to change, and I'm going to change it. Okay, I need to pray more. I'll pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I'll read my Bible more. Do I need to have more faith? I know if I have faith, like the grain of a mustard, I can move mountains. So I don't need faith so you will heal me. Like, God, you just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. The other temptation, if you're not a religious person, if you're more of a secular or cynical person, is to say, I knew it. There is no God. And the suffering proves that. Because if there is a God, I don't want to worship him anyway because either he's good, but he's not in control and he can't fix my circumstances and he wouldn't have allowed this to happen, or he's all-powerful, but he's a, he's a tyrant, he's sadistic, and he likes to inflict pain on me. Right? This is the temptation for us to go one of two places. And what I want you to see this morning is that both approaches to suffering are absolutely wrong. They are spiritual dead ends that actually will not help us at all with the issues of suffering and pain when it comes into our lives. So, how do we handle suffering? How do we view suffering? And I think that this book, the book of Job, is one of the best at dealing with it. If you look again in chapter 1, there's this really peculiar little exchange between Satan and God. Have you ever thought about this before? Satan comes to God. God says, hey, where have you been? And he says, just walking to and fro on the earth, which let that image kind of steer in your brain. Just walking on the earth, man, just checking people out. God says, hey, have you, uh, have you considered my servant Job and how much he loves me and he serves me? And, and Job, and basically Satan says, huh, you think he loves you? Right? You think Job is so great? Well, hey, 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 how about this God? Inflict some pain on him. Right? Do something to hurt him. And I guarantee you, if you do that, Job will curse you to your face. And then oddly enough, God says, deal. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I'll, I'll, bring, I'll allow you to bring some suffering into Job's life. I'll allow you, Satan, to inflict some pain. But then he actually gives him some boundaries. He says, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. But yeah, go ahead. Bring the pain. And so Satan, it says, then leaves the presence of God. And as you read the rest of the book, you know that he inflicted all 
kinds of pain and suffering and havoc on Job and his family. Can we all just agree before we go any further this morning? That's a little bizarre. I mean, it seems like here, does it not, that God is gambling with a human life. With Satan at the table. And it's easy at times to, to, to read this and get tripped up on it. But, but, but here's what I want you to notice right here in the chapter. Notice, suffering, as you will see throughout the entire Bible, suffering is never God's idea. Suffering is actually Satan's idea. When you go back to the very beginning in Genesis 1, God created a world good, it was right, it was beautiful, it was rhythmic, it was as it should be. Everything Adam and Eve did started worshiping their heart towards God, but then Satan, the serpent, came into the garden, and what happened? He tempted Adam and Eve to sin, to trust him over trusting God. And when he did, immediately, when they turned away from God, the forces of evil were unleashed into this world, and with it came death and disease and darkness and dysfunction and and all sorts of things that we experience today. So you need to understand, before we go any further in our discussion on suffering, listen, Suffering and pain is never God's design. God does not design suffering. God does not desire suffering. But listen carefully. He is still absolutely in control of everything. He is still in charge. There is not one rogue molecule in this world. And therefore, listen carefully. Though God never... Though God never plans the evil and the suffering, he absolutely has to permit it. That's what we see right here, don't we? Satan comes and he says, hey, let me inflict some pain. Why why does he have to ask for God? Why does he have to say to God, hey, this is what I want to do? He knows he has to get permission from God to bring about the suffering and the pain. And God actually gives him the permission. What? In the world is going on. Why in the world would God ever permit suffering or evil to befall on somebody else? Though he never authors it. Why in the world would he allow this to happen in Job's life? Well, what we see, and this is crucial, is whenever you read about the story of Job, what you discover is this. The reason God allows the suffering, the reason God allows the evil, is he only allows Satan to accomplish the very opposite of what Satan wants to accomplish. In other words, the reason God allows Satan to bring suffering into Job's life is he knows he's only given Satan enough rope to hang himself. Think about this. What does Satan really want in this story? He wants to expose Job as a fraud. He wants to expose that Job is a phony, that he's a hypocrite. He says, dude, the only reason he's he's in this is because life's going well. Bring some pain and he will disown you. And yet what happens as a result of God allowing the suffering to come into Job's life? Is Job exposed as a phony? No. He actually becomes the most famous or one of the most famous characters in the history of the human race. Job becomes a figure that changes the lives of millions of people who look to him as a character, as a man who was courageous and had faith and perseverance even in the midst of his trials. And so mission failed on Satan's part. 
What we have to understand today is we talk about this issue of pain and suffering. Listen, God does not create evil. Hear me clearly. He hates evil. God is against evil. But he permits Satan to do some evil things to Job. Why? Because God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite knowledge and his infinite goodness knows that in the end it's only going to defeat the real intentions of the enemies on Job's life. He knows that by allowing the suffering that all that happens here is that suffering will only achieve the very opposite result of what Satan is hoping to get out of bringing the suffering on Job. And here's why this is so important this morning. Because what this gives us insight to is the way God deals with you and deals with me. For, um, for some of you this morning, you are suffering greatly. For some of you, you've lost children, parents. Some of you have cancer right now inside of your body. Some of you have heart failure. Some of you have kids that are strain from the Lord. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you made a decision in the past that is still plaguing your present. And though I cannot stand up here and tell you exactly what God is up to and why he has allowed that specific thing to go on in your life, what I can tell you is this, is that if you will trust God, according to the scriptures, he will only allow suffering to come into your life to the point that it will defeat the enemy's intentions on your life. If you will continue to trust God in the midst of the suffering, he will only allow suffering to come into your life to the point, not that it harms you, but that it will help you experience more and more of the life you were created to experience. That is great news this morning if you believe it. But here's the problem. Notice, though this is what God is doing in Job's life, he never tells Job that's what he's doing in his life. You ever notice that in the book? I mean, throughout the entire book, Job never learns why he's suffering. Ever. And he asks God to tell him. Satan knows why Job is suffering. God knows why Job is suffering. We know because we have the the privilege of reading this now in hindsight. But all Job knows is that he was living a good life, doing his own thing, and bam, everything began to fall apart. All he knows is he was doing the best he could to follow after God, to trust God, to live a blameless life. And all of a sudden now, he loses his family, he loses his health, he loses his wealth. And when he finally goes to God and says, God, what are you doing? He hears silence. He hears silence. Job goes to God and he says, God, my best friends are accusing me of sinning against you. They're telling me the reason that I am suffering is because you're punishing me. But God, I know I've been blameless before you. I know that I've always tried to follow you. I know that I love you. God, I'm humiliated. I'm embarrassed by what's going on here. I'm grieving. I'm in pain. I'm lonely. Can you please tell me what is going on here? And God never once tells him the answer. God never once says, hey, listen, Job, I know this is hard, but man, all things work together for good, brother, and this is going to be great. He doesn't say, look, man, I'm writing this thing called the Bible. You're going to have a whole book named after you one day. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say, hey, in the end, I'm going to restore twice as much as I took away. Doesn't say, hey, in the end, millions of people uh, are going to get hope and they're suffering from looking at how you handled your suffering. Doesn't say any of that. 
doesn't say a word until chapter 38. And look at how God responds in chapter 38. I'm going to put it on the screen for you in verse 1. I think we have it. Can we put it on the screen, Ryan? Do we have that? Or do I need to look it up in my... Okay. I'll see if I can look it up here. Job chapter 38, verses... um... There it is. Job 38, verse 1. The Lord finally answers Job, and it says he answers him from out of the whirlwind. That actually um, is like an F5 tornado. You're a good, good father. And he shows up in something that would absolutely terrify you. He shows up in a whirlwind, and what does he say to Job? Verse 2. Who is this who darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. In other words, put your cup on, Job. I, that's, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's seriously it. That's the truth, right? In the Hebrew, right? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. I've heard about you. Oh, next. Actually, forget that one. Cancel that one. Leave it there. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. What he actually says next, which we don't have it on here, in verse 4, is he says this. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? How do you like that response? Hey, Job, you've been really good at asking me a lot of questions about why you're suffering. Before I answer that, let me ask you a question. Where were you when I designed the universe? Hey, where were you when I threw the planets in the sky and the sun and I said this will be the day and this will be the night? Where were you, Job, whenever I began to create all of these creatures, including the great feared Leviathan, which is like a pet for me? Oh, that's right, Job, I hadn't created you yet. Who is this? Who darkens counsel by my words without knowledge. In other words, Job, who do you think you are to question me about how I I run the universe that I created and control? Are you okay with a God like that? You see, when suffering hits, we all want answers. Do we not? We all want answers. And for the moralist, we tend to say, okay, God, just tell me what you want me to do. Obviously, I've screwed up something. You're probably just making me, you're punishing me for something. I know it because I really believe if I do good stuff, you should do good stuff for me. So just tell me what to do and I'll do it. The the secular person says, I knew it. God doesn't exist. I'm going to go live however I want for tomorrow I die. Do you see what both responses are attempting to do? They're attempting to control God. They're attempting to take control of their own Lies, But listen to me very carefully, guys. According to the scripture, if you want a relationship with the God of this Bible, of the God of this universe, you need to realize he's God, you're not. He's in control, you're not. And you need to trust him even when at times he does not give you an answer right here and right now to why you are suffering. This seems like such a cold-hearted God, doesn't it? That he wouldn't give us an answer. But listen, guys, what you have to understand is this is actually the most loving thing God can do. Because think about it. If you want to experience salvation, salvation is by what? It's by faith. 
You can't experience salvation unless you have trust in God, that he is who he says he is, and he will do everything that he says he is going to do or has done everything that he says he's going to do. Right? You have to have trust in order to have a relationship with God. And listen, the only way you can really know that you trust God The only way you can really know that you trust God is when he begins to run your world differently than you think he should and you say, I am going to serve you anyway. The only way you can know I truly have faith in God is when it feels like everything around you is going wrong and yet rather than being dominated by your feelings, you are driven by faith and the fact that God is who he says he is. He has done everything he says he has done or he will do that and therefore, like the prophet Habakkuk, we can say whether I'm suffering or life is going well, whether I'm rich or I'm poor, I have a lot of friends or no friends, I'm healthy or sick, I will rejoice because I have God. This is where God is wanting to bring all of us to this point. It's what he's doing right here with Job, isn't it? He says in verse 8, he says, Job fears me, Satan. The word for fear there, don't think of like, like a cowarding, like, oh God. Like it's, we think of it in a negative term. It actually means an inward awe and wonder. When God says that Job fears him, what he means is that Job loves me for me. He serves me for me. But what does Satan say? He says, God, you're crazy. Job doesn't love you for you. He loves you for the stuff he thinks he can get from you. He loves you because you've made him popular, God. That's why he loves you. He loves you because you made him rich. Who wouldn't love you for that? He loves you because his family's healthy. He's never lost a kid. He loves you because he's healthy, he's wealthy, he's got status, and therefore, I'm telling you, God, you pull that stuff from him, he'll be out of here. See what Satan's doing? He's putting his finger on one of the biggest temptations in our own lives. He's putting his temptation on one of the biggest problems in the human race. And here it is, guys, especially for Americans. It's to hop into a relationship with someone else, not because we love them, but because we love what we think they can do for us. You see the difference? Ladies, don't raise your hands. But how many of you have ever been in a relationship with another man who showed you an incredible amount of compassion and he affirmed you and he said, you're amazing and you're beautiful and I will never leave you. But as soon as you stopped or you said, I'm not going to give you what it is you're asking for sexually, he was gone. What's that about? Well, in the end, the man didn't love you for who you are. He loved you for what he thought he could get from you. And this isn't just something men do. Like we all do it. We all tend to enter into a relationship with others out of this idea of, I just want to get something from you. And listen, when that happens, if you've ever been the victim of that, how do you feel? You feel objectified. You feel dehumanized. And yet it's the same thing that we try to do to God over and over. Some of us in here today, listen, we need to be confronted with the fact that we have begun to treat God as a celestial vending machine. If I just put in the money... If I just put in the prayers, if I just put in the reading of Scripture, then certainly God will give me goodies back from heaven. And what we are ultimately saying, listen, is whenever we treat God as a vending machine, is you are not the treasure chest of joy. These things that you can give me are, and they are actually better than you yourself. Truth is, if you want a joy-filled, life-giving relationship with God, We have got to learn how to stop going to him for things we can get from him and going to him for him. 
You have got to begin to learn that Jesus, that God is the treasure chest of joy, that he is the end goal. And listen, guys, the only way you can know if that is truly the saving faith that you have is for suffering to come into your life, for pain to come into your life and to reveal what is really going on in your heart. A couple months ago, I, um, I went to go see Shonda James, who's in our missional community. She's a massage therapist here in town. I was having some back pain, so I went, and I was like, I'm going to get a massage from Shonda. And so she told me to lay down on her little table, and she said, okay. She said, do you want this to be a relaxing massage, or do you want this to be a painful massage? And I was like, um, okay, well, which one's going like, to make me like, good in the end? Like, which one's going to fix me? And she said, well, the painful massage. And I was like, okay. And you would not think from a girl, I don't know how much you weigh, but a little girl like her that she could inflict pain on you, but you would be dead wrong. Okay? <laughs> And so, like, she almost had me to the point of tears. Like, I, the only thing that kept me on that table was the fact that I knew the pain she was inflicted on me was going to make me better in the end. That's what kept me there. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll pay for this even, this kind of pain. For some of you, you're like, that's what I want God to do for me now in my pain. Like, yeah, like, like, like I would pay for my pain if I knew how five years from now it's going to make me better. Am I right? Wouldn't that make it way easier for God to say, hey, here's why I'm allowing this to happen. Look what actually is going to come as a result of this happening in your life, this pain and this suffering. But here's the thing, guys. If God does that, if he does that, do you realize then we will still only serve him for things we can get from him rather than serving him for him? And listen, because God loves you, because he knows that as the giver of all good gifts, he is better than his gifts, because he knows as the creator, he's better than the creation, he will allow suffering to come into our lives. And he will not give us the answers why all the time. And he does this not to make you miserable, but to save you from the misery of building your life on things that he knows in the end will not satisfy you at all. God will allow suffering and pain to come into our lives, not because he hates us, according to Romans 8.1, not because he's even mad at us, He'll allow suffering and pain to come into our lives, not because he wants to break us, but because he wants to fix our eyes on him as the ultimate source of life. And this is exactly what we see happen with Job. When you come to the end of the book, Job chapter 42, we can actually put that on the screen now, Ryan, verse 5. Look what Job says. He says, Before, God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And then verse 6, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That seems like some harsh language. I despise myself. Basically what he's saying here is this. God, I used to live off of rumors of what other people would say about you. But now I know exactly who you are. And I'm repenting right now, God, of the wrong thinking I had of you because you are bigger and you are better than I could have ever imagined. Listen, guys, listen carefully. At the end of the book, Job never sees the meaning of his suffering. But he sees God. And that's enough. Before suffering, Job says, I know about God. Sure. After the suffering, he says, now I know God. Which means in the end... The suffering and the evil that was brought up on him did not crush Job. It only made Job better. It defeated the real intentions of Satan and the enemy by driving Job not away from God, but deeper into the reality of the empowering presence of God in his life. And nothing could be better than that. Nothing. 
you would rather encounter the presence of God, I'm telling you, through suffering than to miss out on it in a life of bliss here on earth, guys. This is fleeting. This is fading. It will not sustain you long. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where Job is as we kind of begin to close this morning? How do we get there? Because some of you are suffering right now, aren't you? If you're not, you will. Some of us guys, listen, this is one of the, the things about pastoring a, young, a younger church is like some of us still feel invincible. We haven't suffered big enough yet. Suffering's coming for some of us that is so bad that if we knew it, like we wouldn't want to get out of bed. It's coming. This is reality. Some of you know people who are suffering right now. So how do we begin to suffer well? Well, two things I would say. One is when suffering comes, you have to have an emotional realism. In verse 20, when suffering hits Job, what does he do? It says that Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. If you saw me doing that up here, right? Are you going to think, what a godly dude? Like, ah, shaving, like tearing my stuff. You'd be like, dude, he's lost it. That guy's his faith was like this, man. And yet it says in verse 22 that Job sinned not against God. Why is that in there? Because God wants you to know this. Listen, guys. When suffering comes, listen carefully. When suffering comes, the only way you can see God as he really is is for you to show up as you really are. God is not afraid of your junk. And if you really want to see God as he truly is, you've got to come with everything inside of you. And stop trying to just church it up. Oh, man, I'm good. Yeah, praise God, man. Right? You need to be able to say, this hurts like hell. God, I'm not real happy. God wants you to bring your bitterness. He wants you to bring your grief. He wants you to bring your messiness. He wants you to bring your loneliness. And he promises that when we will be real with him, he will meet us there in that space. The second thing I would say is not only do we need an emotional realism, we need a theology of grace. You notice whenever Job lost everything, he did not say this, How could you, God? I worked my tail off for that. I earned all that stuff. I deserve that. No, what did he say? Verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, I realized all the stuff that was taken from me wasn't even mine. It wasn't mine. It was only on loan from God. And here's why this is so important, guys. I'll give you just a practical example quickly in my own life. When my first daughter was born, for those of you that have kids... Isn't it crazy how much we freak out on our first child, right? It's like my daughter could pass gas, and I'm like, we got to rush her to the doctor, you know? It's like, I mean, I, everything she did, every little noise, I'm like, God, is she okay? And I, I just remember thinking, I can't believe the nurses sent us home to trust, like, this life with our hands. And one day, I'm sitting there just ate up with anxiety over, like, ah, you know, like, what am I going to do with this child? How am I going to keep it alive? How am I not going to mess her up, you know? And God just spoke to me and said, dude, chill out. This girl is not yours because you created her. She's here because I created her. 
I'm your God, not her. She's a gift from me, your God. And so guess what? If the gift leaves, if the gift dies, I'm still here. And I'm enough. You were happy, Jared, before you had her in your life. You had joy. Do not believe the lie that now you have to have her as a source of your life. I'm the one who's the source of your life. So what's it to you if I give her to you for three months or three years or how long? You just love her, enjoy her, enjoy her, steward her well. But no, if she dies, nothing of me dies. It's all grace. It's all a gift. Enjoy it while you can, but do not worship it. Job realized everything he had was a gift from God. Listen, guys, this is so important because if you build your life on the things of the world, you want to know how you'll know if you're doing that? Because when suffering hits, it's going to make you sadder and sadder, madder and madder, and worse and worse. Build your life on the things of the world. When suffering comes, your joy will not last. But build your life on God. When suffering comes, your joy will not leave. So as we end, who or what are you building your life on today? Who or what are you trusting is going to sustain you when, not if, but when the suffering comes? This past week, I've thought a lot about suffering. And I've realized that one of the reasons that I struggle with suffering one of the reasons I'm bad at it, just confession, I'm not good at pain and suffering. I'm not good at it. So I'm not like preaching this. It's like, be like me. Um, you know why I struggle with pain and suffering? I realized this past week. Because I still struggle to believe that God loves me. So you're like, wait a minute, Jared, you preach on the love of God every day. Are you a hypocrite? Like, no, I believe it up here. But when suffering hits, when the test comes back, it says you got Lyme disease. When people criticize me, because they don't think I do a good enough job, or they don't praise me whenever I think they should praise me, when my kids are sick, when my marriage, right, my wife don't treat me the way I think I should be treated, whatever it may be. Though I know in my head God loves me in my heart, I realize how much I still doubt it. And that's why, guys, we have got to be a church that just focuses on this theology of grace. When suffering hits, at the end of the day, the only thing that is going to sustain you is a rock-solid belief in the fact that God's love is steadfast. And that in his grace, he did not spare his own son, but sent him to come and suffer and die for me so that I can have a hope and a life even beyond the grave. This morning, as you come and partake of communion, what I want you to meditate on is this fact. Think about this. Centuries later, after Satan assaulted Job, he would come and he would assault Jesus, the true innocent sufferer. Job would sin. Job wasn't sinless. Jesus was sinless. And at the cross, when Jesus was there, suffering more than any of us would ever suffer, he said, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And you know what he heard? Silence. Job only thought that God had abandoned him. God actually really did abandon Jesus. At the cross, Jesus was forsaken by his father, who he was in a perfect eternal relationship with. He was forsaken by him. And he was met by the wrath of God. Why? For you and for me. Guys, if God can take the most horrific event in human history, which is Christ the cross, and turn it into the most beautiful event in human history, what in the world makes you think he's going to give up on you now? Whatever you're facing, I'm telling you, you trust him, it's only going to make you better and more beautiful and in the end drive you into a deeper reality of who God is.